Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Act. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. As listeners of our podcast know, each week we discuss the weekly Torah portion. It is a custom among Jewish religious communities for a weekly section of the Torah portion to be read. This portion is popularly referred to as a parasha. And it is read during Jewish prayer service on Saturday, Mondays, and Thursdays. The full name, Parashat HaShavuah, is uh, known by its abbreviated term, Parasha, and is sometimes called the Sidra. The Parasha is a section of the Torah, five books of Moses, used in Jewish liturgy during a particular week. There are 54 weekly parashiot, and the full cycle is read over the course of one Jewish calendar year. Each portion consists of two to six chapters to be read during the week. These 54 weekly portions, or parashiot, Torah reading mostly follows an annual cycle beginning and ending on the Jewish holiday of Simchat Torah in the fall, with divisions corresponding to the lunar-solar Hebrew calendar, which contains up to 55 weeks, the exact number varying between leap years and regular years. One week is always Passover, and another week is always Sukkot, and the final portion at the end of Deuteronomy, the Zot HaBaracha, is always read on Simchat Torah. Apart from the immovable final portion, there can be up to 53 weeks available for the 53 portions. In years with fewer than 53 available weeks, some readings are combined to achieve the needed number of weekly readings. This week is one of them. We have what is known in the tradition as a double portion. You can find it beginning in Leviticus 25.1 and continuing through Leviticus 27.34. It is known in the Hebrew as Bahar Bahukotai. The word Bahar gives name to the first part of the reading, On the Mountain. And it tells us that on the mountain of Sinai, God communicates with Moses the law of the sabbatical year, Every seventh year, all work on the land shall cease, and its produce becomes free for the taking for all. Seven sabbatical cycles are followed by a 50th year, the Jubilee year, on which work in the land ceases, all indentured servants are set free, and all ancestral estates in the Holy Land that have been sold revert to their original owners. Additional laws governing the sale of lands and the prohibition against fraud and usury are also mentioned. The second Torah portion, the Hukotai, speaks about God's law. And it tells us that God promises if the people of Israel keep his commandments, they will enjoy material prosperity, dwell secure in their homeland. But he also delivers a harsh rebuke 
warning of the exile, persecution, and other evils that will befall them if they abandon their covenant with God. Nevertheless, even when they are in the land of their enemies, says God, I will not cast them away, nor will I ever abhor them, to destroy them and to break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. The second parasha concludes with the rules on how to calculate the values of different types of pledges made to God. Joining me this morning to discuss this interesting collection of laws and commandments is Rabbi Lawrence Englander, Rabbi Emeritus of Solal Congregation of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada, an adjunct rabbi of Temple Sinai of Toronto, Ontario. Rabbi Englander, welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Thanks, Rabbi Garten. It's really nice to be back on your program. Well, it's a pleasure to have the opportunity with you to discuss this week's Torah portion. Um, as I indicated in our introduction to the listeners, this week's Torah portion is a double portion, but you and I are going to discuss the first portion, Bahar. And in Leviticus 25, um, it speaks directly about the Jubilee year and the sabbatical year, and I'm going to read the Pesukim, the verses, so that all of us, the listeners and you and I, begin uh, at the same place. So Leviticus 25 says, when you enter the land that I assign to you, the land shall observe a Sabbath of the Lord. Six years you may sow your field, and six years you may prune your vineyard and gather in the yield. But in the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath of complete rest, a Sabbath of the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the grapes of your untrimmed vines. It shall be a year of complete rest for the land. But you may eat whatever the land during its Sabbath will produce. You and your male and your female slaves, the hired and bound laborers who live with you, your cattle and the beasts in your land may eat all its yield. So that's a pretty complete description of the sabbatical year. And how do you understand um, its implementation during the biblical times? All right. Now, most of us are familiar with the term Sabbath, of course, uh, coming every seven days. When we look at the word sabbatical, I think we automatically think in modern times of a work sabbatical, for example, that academics may get every uh, seven years. Uh, or so. But when we go back to the biblical account, uh, I think what it kind of means is that it's kind of a early form of crop rotation. I mean, nowadays, you know, farmers leave a portion of their uh, farms fallow so that uh, the soil doesn't leach. Uh, but in biblical times, they just let everything uh, take a rest on the, uh, on the seventh year. Um, but I think there's more to it than that, and we'll go into it uh, in a little while. Uh, but that's how it relates to the land. Then the next thing that comes along is the Jubilee, which is every 50 years. And I think you've got a passage to read for that. Right. So I will continue with verse 8 of chapter 25. You shall count off seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the period of seven weeks of years gives you a total of 49 years. 
Then you shall sound the horn loud. Seventh month on the tenth day, um, it talks about Yom Kippur. You shall have year. You shall proclaim release throughout the land to all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for each of you, and you shall return to its holding, and each of you shall return to his family. The 50th year shall not be a jubilee year for you, shall be a jubilee year for you. You shall not sow, uh, neither shall you reap the aftergrowth of harvest or the untrimmed vines. For it is a jubilee, and it shall be holy to you. You may eat only the growth direct from the field. And it continues in a very different direction. In this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his holding. When you sell property to your neighbor or buy any from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. In buying from your neighbor, you shall deduct only for the number of years since the Jubilee. And in selling to you, he shall charge you only for the remaining crops years. All right, I Uh, want to go back to... I want to go back to verse 13, which I think is the key that you read, which is in this year of Jubilee, each one shall return to their possession. So we can think of that like a monopoly game. And you can imagine that as a monopoly game goes on, some people are gaining a lot, some people are losing a lot. And so when somebody becomes impoverished, they can't play the game anymore. In the Jubilee year, the monopoly game gets reset. All the hotels and houses go off the board all the equal amounts of money go back to each player so that everybody is once again um, on an even basis with each other. So I think this was kind of um, our ancestors' way of making sure that nobody became permanently impoverished uh, and that everybody had a leg up and another chance to to make a living and, um, and to be prosperous. So both those institutions then, the sabbatical year and the jubilee in biblical times related to the land. Now the question is, what significance could those two uh, festivals have for those of us today who don't necessarily live uh, on the land of Israel? And so, uh, Rabbi Engler, yeah? if I could just um, ask for um, a bit of uh, personal interpretation here. I'm wondering why we can see the need for crop rotation, and we can see the need for the Torah to um, suggest that um, the land should be cultivated in the best possible way. But why do you think the Torah, the Israelites, saw this as related to their covenantal relationship with God? Uh, It's not only cultivation of the land, I think. It's also cultivation of the soul. And I think that's why I think that's why it's instructive that the um, the sabbatical year isn't just leaving a part of your crop uh, or field empty. It's leaving the entire field alone. And um, a a many uh, a, a Renaissance commentator by the name of Soforno, who lived in 16th century Italy, he put it this way. He said, during that sabbatical year of rest, people will have more time to seek God and to pursue spiritual matters. 
And so I think that's part of the reason for the sabbatical year, that rather than being tied to the land and tied to whatever our work happens to be all the time, we take that break and say, let our soul uh, come alive and give it priority for that year. So in that interpretation, Sforno um, harkens back to the creation of the world in Genesis 1, in which um, Shabbat is established as an opportunity for um, holiness and blessing, um, which gives it its sanctified nature, not just to rest from work. Um, so this seems to be an elongated Shabbat. Yeah, now let's pursue that a little further and try and figure out what, where that holiness lies. There's another medieval commentary by the name of Moses Nachmanides, who actually does a play of words uh, on the Hebrew uh, for the word jubilee. In the Hebrew, it's yovel, which sounds very similar to the Hebrew word yovel, which means to bring. And so Nachmanides concludes that the purpose of the yovel is to bring us back to our spiritual roots. And so you're, I, I think you're quite correct in harking back to creation, because we go back to the very creation of our souls, uh, to the very fact that they reside with God, and we have a chance to, uh, to remember that and to uh, bring that out, our spiritual nature. So that's really um, very interesting. Do you have any sense of how our audience can understand whether in uh, the time of the Second Temple or prior to the destruction of the Temple, uh, whether the uh, Israelites living in the land of Judea actually uh, practiced this custom? There is some evidence that the sabbatical year was practiced. In terms of the Jubilee, there's really not much written evidence, if any, uh, at all. As a matter of fact, some scholars, including a teacher that you and I had, Professor Ellis Rifkin, suggested that the Jubilee year was actually seven weeks long, and that's it. And what that did is it brought the, um, the biblical calendar back into whack with the seasons. So the Passover would always be in the spring, rather than rotating all the way around the year. So, and would that have been, I, I actually forgot that part of Dr. Riskin's lecture, but would that be, <laughs> have been instead of the leap year? Yes. Or in addition to the leap year? Uh, well, uh, he even went further and said that the, we won't get into this now, but, but he maintained that the biblical calendar was actually solar and that the lunar solar calendar came along later after the exile. But at any rate, uh, our calendar has not been like the, for example, like the Muslim calendar, which is purely lunar, where Ramadan will rotate all the way around the, uh, the seasons. Uh, um, our calendar manages to keep the holidays I in a specific season. Or as the Torah says, in their due season. I want right. just to see one other thought that might interest our listeners, and that is, uh, and perhaps you were going to allude to it or speak directly to it. If there was a uh, jubilee or sabbatical year, but mostly a jubilee year, that um, 
force people to return to their original holdings, um, what impact would have that had on an agricultural society? Would it have meant that people had to give up their farms? And if they had bought land from someone, did they have to return the land to the original owner? It seems that it would have caused great chaos uh, to society. Well, that's why we're not sure the Jubilee was ever enacted uh, literally as, as it's written. But then again, take a look from the other side of it. Let, let, let's say that um, I have a farm beside you, and uh, my farm's smaller than yours, and there's been a bad uh, harvest. You have enough uh, stored up to keep you going, and you have no problems. But for me, uh, I, I'm right on the brink of poverty. And if further bad harvests come along, um, I and my family are really in trouble, and I might have to sell some of my land to you or sell myself in service to you uh, in order to um, keep body and soul together. Then when the Jubilee comes along, theoretically, I get all that land back, and I'm able to take a fresh start. I think that was the idea uh, behind it. Of course, when um, our economy switched from an agrarian economy to a commercial economy, that no longer really uh, held, uh, held true. And so what our uh, commentators did is they took these uh, institutions of sabbatical and jubilee and gave them a more uh, ethical and spiritual meaning, especially since uh, during that period of time we weren't living on the land of Israel where the laws applied. So rather than simply um, ignore these biblical commandments, uh, how did they massage them to fit new circumstances? Well, I, I can give you an example of that. Um, go, going, right, going right up to modern times, there's a... Uh, uh, rabbi Benny Lau is a uh, progressive Orthodox rabbi in Israel, and uh, I'm going to quote him because I think he puts it very well. He says, the mitzvah, the commandment of the sabbatical year is a spiritual reality in which one can measure the depth of one's place in the story of creation. We can reduce our need to dominate and instead make room for all being. This can extend to many areas that are not connected at all to working the land. The educational message of the sabbatical year is a year of calm and avoidance of competition. So I think what Rabbi Lau is bringing out is that to some degree, acquisitiveness is part of our human nature. We like to own things. We like to gain things. And, and we keep on striving to own and gain more. I think during this period of the uh, COVID pandemic, where some of us are reevaluating the need to go out and buy all the stuff that we do. And uh, so what Rabbi Lau is basically saying is that the sabbatical year kind of curbs that desire temporarily. Uh, to allow for calmness to set in and to give us a wider perspective on life. And I think his words are very wise. And so, I mean, uh, I'm struck by his um, continuation of what the uh, Renaissance rabbi and the medieval rabbi suggested about um, retuning one's spiritual um, instrument. Um, during either a sabbatical or a jubilee year, um, in a society like ours, um, 
how realistic would it be, and you served as a congregational rabbi for uh, nearly 45 years, um, how realistic would it have been to suggest to your congregants in um, a small community outside uh, Toronto that they somehow um, use the concept of sabbatical or jubilee to change their lifestyle? Well, I was very fortunate that they granted me sabbatical leaves uh, uh, during my tenure there. And I know that I came back refreshed and having grown a great deal uh, from that experience. Uh, there were other people, certainly the academics in my congregation, uh, other professionals, uh, had a chance, maybe not for an entire year, uh, nor was mine, uh, but, but to have a chance for, for a few months just to um, take a, a rest uh, from their work and to pursue uh, other interests or other concerns. Uh, connect with their family and and with uh, other people, and uh, in the cases that I can recall, I, I think it was extremely beneficial and therapeutic uh, for many people. So yeah, I think a case can certainly be made. Uh, we, we should have more of it. Well, it's interesting as you connect these uh, biblical um, insights to the situation that we find ourselves now in with the uh, COVID pandemic, and people begin to ask themselves uh, the questions of, what do I need? Uh, and many people listening to the show may be uh, greatly impacted by the economic uh, downturn, um, and many people may be inconvenienced by the economic downturn, and may be some, in fact, whose uh, financial wherewithal can withstand uh, the challenges. But raising the questions from a religious point of view of what do you need to survive uh, places the Torah portion in a very different light. Um, as we've been speaking, um, I'm reminded that the um, discussion of sabbatical year begins with the phrase, uh, I'm looking up to make sure, when you enter, enter the land that I assign to you, um, which seems to refer to uh, the sacred land of Israel. And I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners um, how that might be acted upon and implemented now that there is a third Jewish commonwealth. Okay. Um, can, I, can I just make another point before I skip to that? Because I was going to get there. Okay. Um, what I wanted to point out, too, you know, you mentioned that many of us are inconvenienced during the COVID pandemic. I think what the sabbatical year reminds us about is that it's not just about me. And um, uh, in all places, a mystical text, uh, the Zohar, raises the following point, that during the sabbatical year, our focus should then turn to the poor of the land because that allows them to glean the field that we're not supposed to be tending. And so it's open for the poor to, uh, to take the produce that lies there and to feed themselves and sustain themselves. Coming up to the present day, there's a, uh, a modern biblical uh, Israeli commentator by the name of uh, Avraham Burg, and in his commentary to this Torah portion, he puts it the following way. He says that the sabbatical year teaches 
that not only am I commanded to restrain my desire for profit more and more, which is what Rabbi Lau had said, but Burg goes on to say, I am also obligated to share my bounty with others. So as we're sitting isolated in our homes and as we're trying to figure out what we need to uh, cope with the pandemic uh, day by day, by the same token, we should also be looking outward at those people who are less fortunate, who really uh, are desperate in this time of pandemic, uh, the homeless, the poor, uh, the diseased, and that uh, what we can do is reach out, if not physically, at least financially uh, and in other ways and uh, make sure that we can sustain uh, those uh, organizations in our own community that are, taking pair, uh, that are taking care of vulnerable people. And that's what the sabbatical is asking us to do, to go beyond ourselves. Now, I, I want to thank you for these insights. I don't think that time allows us to um, explore the specificity of uh, expression of the sabbatical year in the modern land of Israel, but I think you've really helped our listeners this morning to have a greater appreciation for the spiritual nature of what appears to be, as you began your conversation this morning, uh, simply a commandment about making better use of the land that's available to us. Uh, Throughout Jewish history, we are taught that we are... uh, shepherds of the land, but often what gets lost is the reminder that uh, spiritually we are not owners of the land. We are uh, lent the land uh, by the Creator for the purposes of all. I want to thank my guest, Rabbi Lawrence Englander, a Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Solel, Solel Congregation in Mississauga, Ontario, an adjunct rabbi of Temple Sinai in Toronto, Ontario. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. You can hear a podcast of this morning's broadcast on iTunes or the chri.ca website. Shalom and have a good day. We are for Israel, we are happy, shalom.